Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at doconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peake. Episode 137 with Julie. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How's everything in your world in Louisiana? It's good because it's not that bad weather. It's like 45 degrees here. So, uh, Although okay. that sounds freezing <laughs> with my Your, Florida bones. I always get it wrong. Jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu. You've got it right. Yes. <laughs> they they can't have class because the pipes are frozen, right? Or yes, it froze. So they didn't have any. I think actually they're working now. But yes, I was getting oh, antsy because yeah. we didn't have classes this week. <laughs> this is the time to visit Florida. We're 78 degrees. Nice wind. So like the beach would be. If there's thunderstorms in like an hour, it looks like, but yeah, January, just, February is when you come this way. You're just bragging. I'm bragging. <laughs> but then in four months when it's 95 and like terrible, then I'll be like, oh, I want to move. This is yeah. horrible. It'll be terrible in Louisiana then yes. too. So. <laughs> the South will just be this big swamp that we are. Oh man. Well, no shortage of things to talk about as always. Let's head right on into story time. And uh, Julie. I'll let you kick it off. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was thinking the other day because I was on Facebook and I'm in, I don't know if guys have an equivalent of this, but a lot of women are in these local moms groups. So mine is like Mandeville moms because I live in Mandeville, Louisiana. And so much of it is like, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Y'all have a company or have you ever worked with this company? Like a ton of it is. Mm-hmm. And there are a ton of builders and things. And so I was thinking about joining a particular gym. So I went into the mom's group. I searched for the gym. I read all the posts that other people had posted about the gym. And then I actually private messaged somebody who had put a post on there about the gym to say, hey, did you join and how was it? So all that to say, it just got me to thinking about how now it's not just Google reviews or what people are saying on their own personal Facebook page or who's at the office that they're talking about. Now people can seek out, you know, particular people who are similar to them and ask their opinions on things. And so it's just, um, you know, we hear from builders every once in a while, hey, can you help us with reviews? And can you help us with this? But now it's really another layer beyond that because it is so easy to find somebody else who can give you an honest review of something. And two, in this time when, you know, Kevin, you've talked so much about it's coming that as we have more delays and more backups and things get more expensive, they're going to be more critical of home builders. So you have this coming. So how can we think more about communication and keeping people happy, not just for that they give us a good review, but because it's so easy for people to talk about these things. How do you work on this now instead of freaking out in a year when you have unhappy people? Like, what can we do now to make this better. Yeah. And even just right before we started recording, I was on a call with someone who they have that clause in the contract where they can do price escalations. Andrew, you're on there with me. Mm -hmm. And it sounded like they had never really, even though that clause was in there, they had never been communicating up until this point of crisis that, Hey, prices have gone up at this amount, but we're, we're able to absorb those currently. So, but still you you have to keep in touch and set expectations of, but if this does continue, there may be a slight escalation, which then if that continues beyond that, there may be a larger escalation. And instead they're like, 
so Kevin, how do we have a conversation with someone where it's, you know, $40,000 more or we'll give you your money back kind of out of the blue. So part of it is just keeping close to the customer and, and managing expectations where things are going. But yeah, it's something we definitely have to be thinking about. And it's everything. My wife is part of the Lewis Center Moms Club here. And I forget which, she was seeing a specialist for something, a physician. And she mentioned that she, to, to him during the appointment that, you know, he's like, how did you hear about us? Oh, from the Lewis Center Moms Group. And he's like, Lewis Center? Because his office is in another town called Westerville. He's like, I knew the Westerville moms were, were promoting me pretty heavily because I see a lot of that, but I didn't know Lewis Center is promoting me too. And so it was like small business definitely have an awareness of, of these groups being out there and they, yeah. and they only seem to be gaining in popularity. And you don't want a mob of mad moms after you. You don't. <laughs> you, don't. you want happy moms because then you'll be making really nice. It, it's almost like I could see... Um, Kevin, we'll touch on your article a little bit about and a little bit on the marketing technologist. The this customer experience position, um, I think some builders have, or maybe I don't. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen it somewhere. Whose sole or someone's sole job is to look at every interaction with a customer in every arrow, as far as like where can the customer hate us or not have a positive emotional experience at this part, or where, like where, where's our risk at? Someone's who's that's all they're looking at is the customer being that customer's advocate, I think would be, it's, I'd say that it could be a totally different role because if you're marketing, you have so many other responsibilities. You might be like, oh, we need to fix this, but you're not looking at every single touch point along the way and then developing processes, which then would go to marketing. Like, hey, what can we do to fix this? Is there some type of content we could do? Go to sales, go to, they need to be like almost not above everyone else, but like, Within any uh, we, department, we actually talked about that with someone else today too. Oh, there you uh, go. Didn't even know <laughs> where this this person is currently in charge of marketing and online sales, mm-hmm. and was also added sales management to her list of duties. Huh. Uh, essentially, like a, a COO type of person at, at one point, and the need to scale that back because there's just so many things going on that if you want to set this person up for success, you have to narrow their focus a little bit. But I did mention on the call to the owner, I said. At the same time, narrow her focus, but make sure everyone else in the company knows that she's allowed to stick her nose wherever she wants and, and ask questions and expect good answers and make suggestions. So, so you do need someone, to your point, Andrew, who can care about things that aren't necessarily in their lane only and help mm-hmm. take it to different departments and try to gain... And have the respect like <laughs> from leadership, like, hey, this person can get into anything that you do with any customer. And that's just but they're almost like this, like because their their goal is of course long term for the business, but like the immediate short term goal is like I am representing the customers all like first. Otherwise it won't work, at least in my mind. Like it needs to be. And that's kind of like why Amazon, if you think ten years ago or fifteen years ago, like e-commerce companies versus Amazon. And was like, cool, let's let's get this prime thing going whenever they launched that. Can't remember when. All the other companies like, what are you talking about? Like, that's a ridiculous expectation. And sure enough, that's very customer centric, very expensive, but it looks like it's it is paying off. Yep. Cool. Andrew, what do you got? Ooh, I got a fun just a quick one. Somehow it's like serendipitous. Like I've saw two ads this week. One said clear upfront pricing. I'm like, that's really interesting because this it's for, for homes. Home builder or something else? Both for homes, both okay. for home builders. So clear upfront pricing. And it had a, a lot of different um, homes on there. I'm like, oh, 
and they the way they typed it made it seem like it was like this cool program they had of some sort. Like I was like, oh, what is this? It'll be different. Like maybe they're putting all the home site premiums up front. They're putting like everything on the on the web page versus like just the base price of the home, and then you go from there. But then you click the ad, and it just goes to their site. And I'm like, well, where's this clear upfront pricing? Like there, there was no spot to like learn more about it or that it was like huh, next to the price of a floor plan. And it said clear upfront pricing means this. It was just like it disappeared once you got to the site. And then another example, they had a promo going on right now. That was really strange to see a promotion. It was for quite a few dollars. So that was really, that was really confusing. Really? But it had the same situation where you saw this promotional ad. Like, oh, I want to learn more. You click it and then you go to the site. And there was a banner for it, which was a step towards the right direction. But there wasn't like anything there. You couldn't and click it, on the banner. You couldn't click the banner. There wasn't even like call us for the details, which would which I can't stand. But because like people don't want they just want to know the whole yeah. sale. Like, don't make me talk to someone to get the detail. But there's no there's nothing it like what I do. The different website things that are still difficult, you know whenever builders were running promotions, the ability to have a list of only, I only want these homes to be able to participate in the promotion. They're like, okay, so we try to clarify that in the ad or suggest writing a blog post, but there was no way inherent to the, to the backend system itself to like say this home can participate in most instances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, I remember that it's always a challenge and and it's still like that customer experience person would be like, wait, we have people who don't even know what's going on. This is very confusing. And then they could, then go to marketing and be like, why are you doing this? Like, yeah. click, click the ad. Click one, it. Though, it was just to stop offering an incentive of any kind. Yeah, fix that. Or if you're, if you're, if there is any type of like that one there was, it was clear upfront pricing and like clear was capitalized upfront pricing. Like it made it seem like it was a thing. And my interpretation of it, like, and maybe just, maybe they did not intend for it to be that way. They just wanted it to be clear upfront pricing. Though if you're saying that, you have to, I think you should tell the rest of the story. Yeah, you got to deliver. So, yeah. Just bizarre. My story time is going way back into my childhood. I mentioned this to the DYC team earlier oh. today. Um, I, at like the age of 12, I had to sit in the, my parents' car without an iPad or wireless internet <laughs> and wait while they went in Torture. and met with our financial advisor because they didn't want me to hear about who was going to take care of me and who got all the money. And apparently I wasn't getting any money. Of course not. I was 12, but they just didn't want me involved in that part of the business. So I'd sit in the car I'd sit in the office, whatever. And so it stuck in my mind, all those trips and, and one trip in particular, because my dad was a very calm person. He was a principal of an elementary school. So if you can do that for 30 years, better be, yeah, you're pretty calm <laughs> uh, kind of guy. And he was just livid. I mean, all the way home, he was just, roaring about this meeting. And I, of course, didn't fully understand it all, but I was trying to follow it. And he's like, well, this guy is a fee-only planner. So I pay him to give me financial advice. And his financial advice has always been part education, part helping me get things done. On the education front, he was always telling me to be really suspicious or careful around using life insurance programs as an investment vehicle. Because the main beneficiary is the company selling you the policy, not really good for most people to have as an investment tool. And had been telling him that for years and years and years. Well, then his company was acquired by, by uh, a different organization who was still offering fee-only planning, but now they could also kind of get involved in, in other products. And one of those products was life insurance as investment vehicle. And I was trying to convince my dad to, to move over a large percentage of his life savings into this life insurance product. And he was like, uh, Steve, whatever his name was, Steve, like, 
is this because of the the company changing hands? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. And he's like, but you taught me for years. And it was like an alien had taken over this person's body and they were just doing like whatever the, the hive mind said to do. And it just strikes me that, you know, that person was supposed to act in a fiduciary manner. Fiduciary means, I took this from a, a website, a fiduciary is a person who or organization that acts on behalf of another person or persons, putting their interest ahead of their own with a duty to preserve good faith and trust. And I, it, this is um, near and dear to my heart, and I wanted to make this as a story time because there's a lot of people in our industry who act as if they are fiduciaries, who there's just no way that they truly are. Because if they were, they wouldn't have been telling you in the best market of all time to spend incrementally more money on advertising. They wouldn't be telling you to create content that has nothing to do with your homes, really, uh, when you still don't have anything close to an e-commerce solution or a written description that truly describes a property or all the pictures and 3D tours that you need. But instead, we're going to do something like, this was not it, but but what if what if someone suggested, it, Julie, that we think you should make a three part video series on how to frame pictures to hang on your wall? Yeah, pointless. <laughs> that, While pictures are missing as a from the site, and recommending mm -hmm. that someone go waste their time. And I think you just really it, it continues to be frustrating to me as an industry that we have so many voices trying to get us distracted from what we really need to be focused on. And this is going to lead into my. Uh, our, our news article as well. And it's not that my answer is the only answer, but the answer is not to go back to 2009 to 2013 to, um, I mean, we can't, we can't keep looking backwards and doing this stuff that is a waste of time, energy, and resources, and then wonder why we aren't able to move forward. So that's my story time slash rant. Love it. But I like, I like Kevin's rants. It would be it would be okay with me if if other people weren't trying to pretend that they are fiduciaries. But mm. I mean, yeah. Since well, Jackie's just listening, she's not on. But ever since she's been on, it'd be interesting to hear if you can unmute yourself real quick, Jackie. Yeah. Here. What percentage of our calls that you've been on do you do you hear me or Julie or Bryce or Becca or Andrew say you should consider spending less money? Yeah, it's pretty consistent. <laughs> like <laughs> almost a hundred percent. Yeah, I think the only instance where we where we were making, recommending someone spend more money was they actually were running ads trying to get subcontractors in trades. Like we need framers, we need concrete workers, we need electricians. But if if you never have that kind of conversation, uh, that that person in the, over the last ten to twelve months can't have had your best interest at heart. All right, rant over. On to the news. First up from MikeDP.com, one of the best data-oriented people around the iBuying world. He has an article dated February 17th called Open Door Withholds Listings from the Market. We talked about this in, I think, the Facebook group a while ago, but Open Door stopped. They continued purchasing homes, but as they were going through the process of becoming a public company, they stopped selling their homes. So iBuyers are supposed to buy homes, fix them up a little bit, add some smart home tech, and resell them to the marketplace. And he notes that between November 10th and December 10th, Opendoor listed no new homes for sale in any market around the country. 
And for comparison, Zillow continued to do so. And it was just really interesting as to potential reasons why, and, and they varied um, from, hey, the value of the homes are just going up to you don't have to book that as revenue until you, until you list it. And as a public company, maybe they just wanted to make sure that their first, first quarter looked as good as possible. But I also thought it was interesting. I'd love to hear your guys' take on the implication for the future of what this might mean as more and more, potentially more of the transactions are with fewer players. When those players make a move, like in this case, it was only 300 to 400 houses that were kept off of the market. But is there a potential of one day cornering the market if, if, you know, collectively two of the three big players in iBuying, should that really take off? It's just interesting to think about the potential implications of, of how these companies with their large resources could, I guess, manipulate the market if they got to a certain scale. Yeah, yeah. I thought that one line, what happens when a company, back, and this is from the article, what happens when a company backed by Wall Street and motivated by profit has the ability to withhold listings from the market in the midst of a once-in-a-generation housing shortage? So that just kind of summed it up for me, like what an impact that could make. Now, this wasn't a huge amount of houses and probably didn't make that big a difference. But what could it do if somebody like that had that much that many listings, that many houses decided to make a turn? Or what if they decided to sell everything super cheap? What's that going to do for mm-hmm. yeah. um, the value of your houses? What if they just needed to get rid of it because they needed more capital or whatever they needed? Mm-hmm. Then um, it's the same thing why sometimes we don't sell an entire neighborhood to rental investors. Because what if they just need to get rid of those and it just crashes your appraisals? Yeah, you, so, you so, thought it was bad or annoying when that national home builder in the last couple of weeks of, of the year sold 20 inventory homes at a loss or break even. You thought that was annoying to your marketplace. Well, it could be a much, much worse is what he's talking about. Yep. Yeah. I, I feel like it brings up, um, this sort of reminds me of the, um, so today's the congressional hearing on like the, the GameStop stock thing and then Robin hood and like this, it's sort of a similar thing. It's the little, person versus the potentially the big money. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting that it's almost very mm-hmm. similar setup or p- possible potential setup, say 10 years from now and X percent of homes are owned by wall street, 20, 30, 40, 50%. And they own, they pretty much, they own the city. Then there's the rental. It's yeah, it's, um, it's kind of, it's frightening, I guess, in some ways it could be crazy. I think as we, it maybe gets ideological, like as we progress as a society, these things are more important to figure out ahead of time than just like, ah, it's going to happen. We'll see what happens. And all of a sudden you go, Oh yeah, we need, we need more homes. But he talked about like the, the largest, the highest shortage of homes ever. And I'm like, Oh my goodness, we just need to keep building more homes. Yeah. Cause if- he, he, he does really good work. He, he often tries to sell, sell his research, which he has every right to do for quite a bit of money. But a lot of his free articles are great too. And one of them just from a week ago was iBuyers turning obfuscation of profit into an art form, which is just an amazing headline <laughs> in and of itself. But one of the things he talks about is that, you know, Zillow had their earnings call open door. They're all like, we're doing so great. We're doing so great guys. This is amazing. And he's like, yeah, I mean, they're kind of spinning the numbers because still in Q4 of 2020, on average, according to Mike's research, Zillow lost $72,000, over $72,000 in every home that transacted. That's insane. 
when accounting for the overall growth of all the employees they need and the and building out the infrastructure, there might be a gross margin at the beginning, but by the time you pay all of your costs, you're still losing money. But again, this is a point of as a public company with shareholders, <clears throat> you know, the ability to kind of play around with the numbers and the reporting to make it a little bit harder to understand exactly where you stand. Plus the things we talked about with the first article, it does mean like we got a lot of of things to continue to think about their their impacts because we don't always understand them right off the bat. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to ProBuilder.com, my favorite website after DoYouConvert.com on the internet. <laughs> Your next best sales tool, the marketing technologist, how a newly created sales position in your company will drive success in an increasingly digitized reality. Now, first of all, we tried to correct this before it published, but it was too late. Uh, this should obviously not be a sales tool, but a, a marketing and sales tool because this, this is a position that, like we talked about, would be broader in scope. A lot of you have had a chance to read it already. Uh, we posted it on, on all the socials a while ago. It's on doyouconvert.com as well. But this is kind of my rallying cry for the need for a marketing technologist position in many home building companies across the country. It's by no means perfect or uh, conclusive. It's still something that I'm tinkering with the idea. But, um, And I don't know the best way to talk through it. It's always weird when it's my own article. But the, the idea is that Home builders have generally sucked really bad at innovation, even the ones who like to brag that they're really good at it in comparison to other industries. We're just not where we need to be. And Thank part you. of that is because we keep asking people who don't have the correct experience to be in charge of initiatives that they might not be best suited to be in charge of. Would you also say we're distracting people who have the potential to be this on things that keep them from becoming better than. Yes. Now this is a huge, <laughs> huge topic. We probably just need to do a special just a, about this in more depth, but as a, as a, a crazy example, IHMS don't roll your eyes just yet. We're talking, yes, we're talking about a purchasing costing and contracting system. IHMS, we were on a call with someone, and they had a gentleman that they believe could be the marketing technologist in their company who's currently helping them implement IHMS. Again, so for context, that's getting all of your costing, how many studs, how many screws, all those, all those details put behind every home in the system and so that when you sell a home with certain options, we know all of the material and the costs associated. We can assign those to vendors who then get purchase orders submitted automatically. There's, there's a bunch of efficiencies and improvements to the company that's made when you do that. And so they said, well, we, we got to get this person to finish that pro- project first. And I said, absolutely, you do. Problem is, in the two other instances that I've been through as a builder where those systems have been implemented, once they're implemented, that person just kind of sticks around on that project and becomes like the maintenance person. And it's a, it's a complete loss of a skill set of saying, I'm going to lead the company through a system-wide change that's going to impact all sorts of departments and processes throughout the company. And now I'm just going to be in charge of making sure it doesn't break. No, you should take that person's role and then expand it to the next system. So, And the reason for that is because when we talk about home building needing needing to look and function more and more like e-commerce, what drives all that? In this builder's case, it's going to be IHMS. That's where all the costs and the options live. That is the database that's going to drive much of the e-commerce experience from being possible, or at least being maintained well. 
And so there's really two ways to go at what we're all trying to get to. You either start at the front at facing the consumer and you work back towards the system and the database. Or in this builder's case, they're already working on the database. They need to finish that project and then move towards the customer. But there's just so much to this position. And, and a couple things on the pushback, really. And then maybe we can define a little bit more. But the first, the first thing was, we don't need a new position, Kevin. This is just marketers evolving. I could start another rant right now. <laughs> marketers are not evolving fast enough, and too many of them are not retiring who are at the top of the stack. So yes, shots fired. Uh, CMOs who don't understand technology, who have a hard time installing or uninstalling apps on their phone. Th those folks, if they're not going to retire or pass the reins, you need a marketing technologist as a designated position on your team to protect you from yourself and to fill that, that blind gap. Now, could, sure. a, could a young marketer or a digital first marketer be promoted to be in charge and then you don't need that position at all because they are the CMO or the VP of marketing and the marketing technologist? Absolutely. Depending on the size of the company, that could work. Could you find someone in IT? Back to the example I gave with the builder using IHMS. This person's more of a systems IT person. Could they start there and then expand? Yes. Yeah, so where this person comes from can come from a lot of places. But, but here's why I think that, that, that they're necessary, that I tried to, uh, to break out in the article. So their roles are this, as an interpreter, so between different departments, explaining what the heck we're trying to do. Why are we, Andrew, trying to keep the consumer first and do this thing? Because it's going to be harder for IT to maintain. Costing is going to have to update their prices in the system more frequently because it's now live on the front end. But someone's got to be the interpreter for all departments of the actual words being spoken. What are we trying to accomplish? Make sure there's clear picture that can be truly under, understood. That's different from one of the roles as a visionary where you're like, this is big, big picture. Oftentimes the CEO has is, is got to be lashed onto that as well to really help drive it throughout the organization. But visionary is also just meaning this is possible or likely to be possible in the immediate future. Understanding what I know about technology or systems or what I see other industries doing, I believe this to be possible. So I'm going to allow the vision to be painted because it's not pie in the sky. It's something that should be attainable with technology at our fingertips. My favorite is BS detector mm -hmm. because everyone else in other departments is like, you can't do that. That's too hard. It's going to cost $4 million. Sure. I mean, <laughs> I once heard someone say, this will be funny for that. If you wanted to implement Lasso, they're like, sure, go ahead. Get that new CRM if, you've gonna, if you're going to spend a half a million dollars on implementation. Uh, excuse me. No, it doesn't cost half a million dollars to implement Lasso, regardless of the size of your organization. That's just a made-up number. I'm, I can call BS on that one. Uh, IT is a big problem with the BS detector part because they try to use big words and explain why this is going to be hard or too difficult. Oh, and yeah. That's because their job is really just to keep the lights on and, and the printer's printing in most cases. And then pollinator is the last one that, that can become the most fun over time is taking best practices and making sure that they are shared between organizations. So again, this idea of someone being involved in multiple departments, having marketing slash the customer at the front of the, of mind and being able to speak uh, tech fluently in multiple different departmental languages. All right. That's enough. Let me take a break. What do you guys think so far? I like the BS detector where you were talking about right then was just internally, but also definitely with vendors 
I mean, just being in marketing, you have people coming at you constantly. And in our role, we have people, oh, have you heard of these, this company? Have you heard of these new people? Have you heard of this new product? So just having somebody who can be the gateway of that, you know, to look at that and tell you whether, whether or not that's something you should even explore or not would be helpful. Being yeah. the devil's advocate of where I think this role is going to be hard is a lot of times it's going to be hard for people to hire for when they're trying to hire. Usually when you're hiring somebody, you're hiring somebody for something that you totally understand. If you're a, a head of a marketing department that you're not super strong in the technology part of it, and you're trying to hire for somebody who's going to be better at you than that, it's it's finding somebody to help you and know what to look for if you are looking for this person. Ding, ding, yep. ding. Well, I think I think that's why it kind of struck me as I was putting the finishing touches on this, which by the way, this article reminded me how terrifying it is to write something and put it into the world. Because you're, I mean, as soon as it goes out, we already added a Q&A where we expand a little bit more on some of these concepts. But I think that's the adoption for this is going to mirror the online sales position mm-hmm. because it's kind of the same thing, Julie, in that yep. in 2008, 2007, a lot of builders, most builders were like, I don't need that. Like, Sure, I've got a website, but those mm-hmm. people call or come in if they're serious. So it was only the the forward-thinking builders who originally took on the role. And then it built itself over time as people began to hear the success of it. And then all of a sudden, it was critical, like mission critical to your success to have some form of this position in place. And I think it's going to end up being very, very similar when it comes to the marketing technologist role. I think the most important part, and it's the same... I'm just going to piggyback on what I said with the OSCs is this role and really every role. But um, I feel like marketing and OSCs can be like, oh, they'll do it. They'll do it. Like It needs to be protected because you'll hire this person with the intention of like, all right, they're going to do this, this, and this, and all this other stuff I don't really know about. Then all of a sudden, like, oh, this person's fully capable, which is what this role is. They could communicate to everybody. They could speak all different types of languages, technical, not technical. So they could do anything, everything. They're likely very, um, they could present well, like in a meeting or something. Like they're this perfect person. All of a sudden, they have everything on their plate, just like an OSC mm-hmm. would could easily be like, oh, yeah, they say yes to everything. They're great. They're always happy. And so yes. this person yeah, could slowly... Major, major problem of the online salespeople being like, it just everything was dumped on them. Hey, could you also do this? Could you also do that? Because you seem to be really good at getting lots of stuff done quickly yep. and efficiently using the system. They'll do everything. And if, if you are high, if you're promoting within, you, I think you then you move that person, but then you need to either hire someone new Mm-hmm. For what that person's responsibilities were, you I, I think this be you can't just move them and all of a sudden like you're good. I think you need to move them and then you hire for someone else, or just what that person was doing full time before like still needs to be done. It's not going to be. I feel like I could easily be shifting those old responsibilities back to that person because some of their projects will be longer. They will be more open ended. They will be more complicated, yeah. but they're doing them. I, yeah. I just and, think and there's and there's two parts to this job. One is analytic analytics and data, understanding and analyzing data. And there are builders for sure that we know who have full-time positions. Some of them are single market builders doing less than 500 homes a year who have an analytics data person exclusively dedicated just to that role. That's part of this. The other part is full systems thinking, understanding how all the systems integrate, the barriers that exist and need to be vetted before launching something. And and the other thing that's been interesting is I've been helping a lot of people hire for marketing roles. And one builder in particular, they're they're on the larger end of the spectrum. And historically, they have been a 
company that likes to follow other people's leads, not very risky, risk-taking, um, not real progressive on the digital front. And they really want to be that. But like a lot of builders in the past, they've tried and things haven't gone well because they don't have the right person leading the charge. And so as I've been interviewing people for a digital leader, marketing technologist type leadership role, what I keep talking to them about is technology lets us go really far, really fast. So you have to make sure you're going in the right direction. You have to take it bit by bit and bite by bite and not try to, to hit a home run. You have to iterate and grow and build on your successes. Because this particular company, if they were to hire the wrong person and then start a new large initiative, it's potentially crippling. And I, I, that sounds hyperbolic, but if you've sat down with CEOs and CFOs, they're only going to give you so many chances to do a certain thing that needs to be done. And mm -hmm. the types of large-scale projects that we're talking about implementing, like, to be clear, Selecting, designing, and purchasing a home entirely online is a massive, massive project. And it, again, it incorporates all these different systems. And so that's really all I was doing for this particular company was helping them vet, does this person really understand technology or are they just interview like capable? <laughs> Meaning they can say some words, oh yeah, I used to manage some accounts. And what that really means is they manage the agency who managed the accounts or yeah, I've done this before, and that was the one time they tried to help a nonprofit do a, a Facebook event, you know, and got four people to respond. Just how much do you really understand technology? And then how, like you said, are you able to communicate that out? It's going to be hard to find someone who is ready to go. That person is a unicorn. There's not many of them. On my hand, I can think of five. I can't think of five people that I know. Andrew is one of them who could be a marketing technologist in a home building organization like right now today. Most of the time, it's going to come from one end of the spectrum or the other, either someone who understands analytics and data, and they can grow into the system side, or someone from the system side that then we can teach them about the, the behavior of, of shoppers and try to help them out get the analytic and data side. But yeah. it's, and it's going to be a slow process of building that person up over time. I'm, I'm biased, but I'm trying to think of, there's another person I know, 99% sure... He was also, his background was e-commerce, Justin in Canada. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's on your short list, but mm -hmm. that's also my background. So it might be, who knows if there's like this common characteristic of like people that started in e-commerce and moved out because e-commerce is super tech heavy compared to other industries. Here's the two second test. When I say the word algorithm, does your brain already start hurting? Like just the mention of that word, there are certain people who are like, okay, I'm out. Nope. Don't want to go there, right? That, that's Ow. your two-second test of if you have to sit and think about what that word means for longer than a couple seconds, or you just don't want to think about it, you need help from someone. But again, this is too big to just fully outsource. And that's part of the danger, Drew. Like you said, the BS detector is there's a lot of people coming in saying, we can outsource all this for you. Baloney. You just wait until they start interacting with your costing department and they're like, um, no, that's not how we do things. No, that's not how we release homes. No, like there is no one size fits all solution here when it comes to where the builders want to go when it comes to digital and sales. Fun all right. Talk. <laughs> we also, again, have that article, additional Q&A of how to go about researching for this, searching for this person, where they might come from. You can find that in the show notes and in doyoucomer.com. Uh, we got time for one fun article. 
Uh, we got a couple others that we'll have to hold. But um, this yeah. is from Reuters.com. Printed in days, a house. New York firm takes 3D printing to the next level. Now, this is this is like the new hotness of PR right now. I feel like every time I open up a news app, there's an article about a new, like the first 3D printed home sold in Austin, the first 3D home printed in New York, hmm. the first. So I don't know how much of this is is completely true, but Andrew, Julie, what makes this one kind of that next level? Julie, do we know that anyone? I don't know. Next, I read the article. I I think next level is what threw me off. Like, what's what's what's? I don't think there's next level. They were all done fast. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything next level in my mind. Well, then marketers lying to us or PR people lying to us. I don't know, but it does. Yeah, Julie, like you're saying, I think it's the speed. Um, yeah, it was eight days, wasn't 48 it? 48 hours. No, 48 hours, not eight days. <laughs> we Part failed that test. eight-day process to build the entire home from start to finish. Ah, uh, that's what it was. So 30% cheaper as well. But yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that we need all of this innovation, for sure, to come to our industry, not just on the sales end, probably least of all right now on the sales end with mm-hmm. the market being what it is, but anything to help lower costs and deliver quality products faster. Yep. is. This is, I don't know, building like this depth. I'm sure people like, is 3D printing really the the solution or is it different, completely different design as far as like, do we need, so this would be a shift in mindset, but like simpler homes, not smaller. I'm just saying simpler design, less extra walls. Like I'm thinking about like, what's the, what's the word for like, if you take, if you have land, you build a big giant barn on it. On the outside, it's very simple, but then inside it's, beautiful but it's essentially it's a big giant metal structure like a mm-hmm. commercial building yeah, and they just build it out that's what it is that word or and we're like or i'm thinking like why do we have to have all our wiring and plumbing through the walls not saying it has to be exposed but i'm going i'm going out there like why isn't it just in this like access like box that's like along the like a one by one foot thing that's up there which i feel like could simplify a lot of things i've never built a single home in my life throwing things at their they are right now because it's (laughs) ugly that's why it is i mean it looks different but if it changed pricing and what we're talking about is like just something like shelter versus a home that fits your your desires the perfection like this i could be like it could be a modern home where it's like square hard angles everywhere and like oh yep that is where the whatever runs through or if you'd like look at older buildings and they just have to like okay we're not doing that or like down here in florida there's a lot of areas that have i'm sure every everyone has this issue anywhere but like they the way they do the plumbing under the home and it's a the slab foundation they just run new water all through the house and you're like, well, that's really strange looking. Um, and then you see the water being like run through the ceiling, like on the ceiling, it looks terrible, but it's like the solution that whatever they had to pay to fix it. So I don't know. I was just thinking like, is 3d printing the way to go? Or is that, this is really not the, well, here, here's what's way so to, to everyone about 3D make it faster is 3d printing requires fewer humans. And if we need mm-hmm. fewer humans, we, you know, it's the same Te- Tesla, in their goal to lower their costs and to create predictive quality as few people as possibly needed in their factories. And in fact, what's interesting is Elon's on the record of saying, we went too far. We were trying to automate things that it's just like, no, the human can do it just fine. Like, let them do it. (laughs) Because the original goal is to get humans out entirely. I think 3D printing, it definitely has potential in markets where most of the walls are cement or cinder block anyway. You know, panelization when it comes to, to wooden structures 
has been around for almost half a century now, I think, and and that's um, produced a lot of benefits. But we need innovation everywhere. Uh, it seems like, to your point right now, Julie, everyone's trying to just focus on innovation on the front end, which is, again, just uh, ironic, because I don't know that we need to go any faster right now on the front end. In fact, just got off another... <laughs> SOS call with a with a builder who uh, the sales manager of a builder who they were like we're just going to shut sales down for 45 60 days okay how about that okay right now just turn <laughs> <it off. laughs> okay that's crazy all right we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to interview the newest DU convert employee Jesse Suggs who comes to us via one of the best home builders in the country we'll be right back All right, and we are here with our amazing guest. And just so you know, this is the first guest interview without Kevin. Isn't that crazy? I'm so excited. <laughs> I get to start it. This is amazing. He'll listen to this and go like, okay, I think Andrew could just do these from now on, get a little break. So we're here with Jessie Suggs. She is a new hire here at Do You Convert, online sales coach working with Mike and Jen. Jessie, it's so exciting to have you on. Thank you. I look forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. And let's do a quick little background. What builder were you at before coming to Do You Convert? And how long were you there? And what did you do? Sure. So I was with Mugo Homes. We are in the Southeast region, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Um, And I actually started in marketing, which, you know, I I went to school for something completely different. Then I ventured into marketing and then I found myself in online sales. I only did marketing for about six months. And then I was in the online sales world for about four, a little over four years before I transitioned over here. So you enjoyed talking to people, I would think. Was that one of the, was that the catalyst <laughs> of getting out of marketing? Like, I, I could look at numbers, but only so much. Yeah. Um, was there a reason for the change or, or is it, was it that, like my guess? My guess. Yeah, I just like interacting with people. You get to do it more, you know, every day you get new people, new personalities, new interests. So it's really neat. Nice, nice. And at Mungo, you guys have your own hashtag. I think a lot of people listening might be familiar. Uh, what was it? I, Mungo Marketing Chicks. I, that was yeah. like everybody. So as far as culture with Kim that she built over there, can you just talk about that? Like just team, the team effort, because you are, after two your horn here, an award winner, the Nationals, NHAB, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kim and the whole team just does such a good job at creating that group and kind of a family feel. That's what Mungo goes for is like, they don't hire employees, they hire family. And she really helped to create that bond between all of us and gave us the platform to be able to reach goals that may at first seem unattainable. And then with all of the training and opportunities, yeah, it's just unstoppable. They're a great team. Very nice. When you switched from marketing to online sales, how large was the OSC team at that time? Was that four and a half years ago? Yeah, it was me and one other person. And then it went to three, then it went to two, then it went to three, then four, five, now it's six. Wow. So, yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I've never been an OSC, but I'd imagine just like dividing the workload and like, okay, whose appointment is this? Because at the end of the day, that's a, that is of course a huge concern. Like who's covering me, but I'm sure it just growing the team size would make work-life balance much better. 
Yes, pre-COVID, it did. Pre-COVID. (laughs) Now it's just like a free-for-all. Like online sales is like this like magical and mysterious world everybody's living in. But yes, team team work is amazing. Free-for-all. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So pre-COVID. So now we're now we're in COVID and everything is crazy. Can you talk about any processes you changed or just how you all handled the insane number of leads and and not just like, oh, we had two thousand leads last month or whatever number, but like, okay, everyone is so interested now. Everyone wants an appointment, which is we we're on a call earlier with with Kevin. And it's like, okay, hundred leads today is not a hundred leads a year ago or the year before. Like it's significantly different. That might be two years ago, hundred leads, you would need three hundred people for what a hundred leads are in 2021. Can you talk about just how, how some of the process has changed and what you guys did to try to survive the abundance of people knocking at your doors, demanding at home? Yeah, definitely a change. I remember, you know, back in the day when it was a bit slower, you know, there's more time to, you know, qualify and do all the digging. Now it's like, okay, let me help you as best as I can. So some of the things that have been changed temporarily hopefully going back um, when things slow down or teams grow, you know, we'll get back to more personal, personalized follow-up video emails, the things that people really like to see that set us apart from others. I think a lot of online teams are having to take a step back and really nurture the people that are actively engaging with them as opposed to the people they hope to connect with. So it's been a, a kind of a shift in focus to give a certain group a little bit more attention. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. That would change. Like for years, you're, you're not preached at, but you're like trained to like, here's how you do follow-up. You have the video email, you have this whole process and you're like, we don't even, one, we can't even get to that anymore. Just the time, but also like, we, we don't really have to, because they're just like, they're blowing up our phones and emails, like any way they can get a hold of us to try to, uh, to try to get an appointment. Did you do anything as far as on the digital side to help, help this out? And I don't, I don't know the answer for that one. So it's not yeah. a, like Talking any, any scheduling backs. solutions like Calendly or, or any way to help people almost self-serve or just, just make it more efficient. With the model homes, some being open, some being closed, some agents being open to doing more virtual selling. Mm-hmm. So it's been a shift. I think the virtual selling has opened a whole new door for buyers to be able to feel more comfortable. Some of those people who don't like to meet face-to-face anyways, we were able to capture some of those buyers. So I really think it's been a positive thing to the online team to be able to funnel all of these people to us. And it is a little bit easier to make appointments right now. And we know it'll change, but we'll take it. We'll take it while we can. Yeah. I hope the virtual sticks around for quite some time. Just thinking about how much more efficient it is as far as if you are, or like if you're, re- it's almost like everybody's a, a relocation buyer that's not able to travel and meet with you. And you're just like, okay, cool. I can meet with you in 20 minutes. Of course, right now the appointments are, are backed up and everything, but just the efficiency of, all right, let's hop on and, and go through it via Zoom or whatever software, as long as that sales agent is proficient and comfortable with, with said software. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So jumping forward to February 20. 21, you've been with us for, I think it's been like two weeks, if if that, right? Yeah. It's been so, it's been so quick. I don't know if there's, has there been anything that's shocking or like, oh, I don't know what it'd be like this. Going over to the supportive side as far as uh, do you convert supporting builders with, with online sales and marketing? Well, you really get to see behind the scenes how much Mike and Jen really are doing to help 
you know, these teams build their processes and the onboarding of employees, the differences between builder and their, their processes and how they handle situations is so different. So it's neat to, to really see the different options and ways that they go about doing it. So it's been an eye-opening experience to see how builders do things differently than how I was exposed. So it's been really fun. Yeah, I think we could say the same on, on the marketing side too, as, as far as like here, like let's say we were talking about a topic and then each builder will have to have its own unique variation of what fits their business the best on that topic. So there's no like one size fits all for everybody, but it's like one intention or one philosophy or principle does go across the board for everybody, but then each person has their own iteration from that. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's all over the place, but that's, yeah, it is fun. It definitely makes the days go by for me faster. Cause you're like, okay, this builder, then this builder, this builder, it's fun having the different stories and, and building those relationships with, with everybody. Yeah. I'm loving it. Awesome. Awesome. Julie, I feel like I'm taking all the questions. Oh, no, I have a question. So I used to be the backup OSC. So I would just fill in for when our OSC at Idle Homes would come in. And whenever she would come back, I would like tell her how much I appreciated her now that I remembered (laughs) how hard she worked. And it's a special skill to be on call constantly, you know, your phone ringing and you have to turn it back on. So I would just say, what would your advice be to marketers or managers who aren't in the OSC role all the time of just how to best take care of your OSCs and appreciate them for their hard work? Yeah, I think the group of online sales consultants, I think they share a general personality type and that's being a yes person. We like to please people. We don't want to be the sales agent. We want to be the one that says, yes, let me set you an appointment. Let me help you. And so I think online sales consultants don't like to complain to management about a workload or the hours that they're working. So maybe just more open communication and how they're actually feeling with workload. I think a lot of people are dealing with some struggles there. And who knows, there's not really a way to navigate that right now with the influx, but just communication and having somebody there to understand there are some struggles or there are some questions that they have would be a huge help. Will you miss your phone ringing constantly? Have you had like phantom phone rings this, these last couple of weeks? I feel like you have to. Like I should be on the phone right now, but I'm not. <laughs> this is weird. Oh, I was so used to picking up. I have two phones before. And if I got up to get water or check my mail, anything, I would pick up just my work phone. You know, I wouldn't, I don't, I never even knew where my personal phone was. And now I have only one. I just feel like... <laughs> I'm missing something. <laughs> Your purse is lighter now. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I do. I, the phantom phone. I mean, I was one of those people who had to have two different ringtones, one for my work phone, one for my personal phone. And so never hearing that other one, it's kind of weird. I mean, I feel like if someone else had that same ringtone as your work phone, you'd almost like have this like emotional response of like, okay, I have to get my voice on. I have to be ready to set an appointment. I have to be able to help. And you're like, oh, no, I don't have to do that right now. This is great. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Especially when you answer your personal phone with your your OSC voice. Oh, that that's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I would hang up from a call, like, and my my husband would say, "Ideal homes, what's your favorite color?" Because I would have on my <laughs> my <laughs> buddy the elf voice. Yeah, so I was always scared I was going to say that by accident. <laughs> oh, hey guys, yeah. Kevin hey here. Kevin, I I jumped in to ask the most important questions, Jesse. Perfect. Uh, favorite kind of music? Oh well, you know I'm from the south, so I'm a country girl. 
But is I there a specific country. pop country yeah. or artist or era? Because it's definitely country. I'm more old broad, country. Right? Like okay. older. Yeah, the new stuff's more like pop country. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll listen to it. It's on the radio, but it's not my favorite. Um, yeah. And then my dad is such a, a music guy that he influences me. Some of my music choices, you know, he likes Grateful Dead, Cranberries, Tedeschi Trucks, you know, those bands. So that kind of was instilled in me from a child. So I have to listen to those. But It's really sad for me to say, Jesse, that half of our audience is not old enough to know who the Cranberries were or are. Well, maybe they'll look them up. Yeah. Lead singer. Uh, Favorite movie? Oh my gosh. Well, I like any like scary stuff. I know that's weird, but I like any like murder mystery or like crime shows. And then comedies. It's like one or the other. There you go. Some creepy stuff. I know, like you'll, I know. You'll do the, like said, Netflix or like the crime documentaries like those or like the actual, like uh, like a fictional. or like, like possessed children's dolls with yes, Is that what we're Or doing? all of it. Like anything like that. I like more like, I don't know. I listen to this podcast. It's a crime podcast. And she talks about um, like all the big serial killers. So it's okay. like. Shows like that. I don't really like the scary movies, like the gory movies. I know I'm so weird. My husband's like, you are scaring me. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like there's a large, a large number of people who are very into the true crime. Yeah. There's crime junkies. Two others. Now there's three of y'all at, at, do you convert that? Listen to a podcast like that. Yeah. Coffee, tea, or water? Coffee all day. All right. I'll take cream and sugar or black. Just a little bit of almond milk. All right. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think I'm I just, to almonds. I just can't like almond milk. I don't. I, I try it. I just doesn't doesn't. All right. Last one. Pancakes or waffles? I'm scared to answer this because of you. you better Kevin. be. You're not. You haven't but passed your 30 day probationary. There's also other choices too, like French toast. If you're more no, 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 no way. French toast. Full waffle for you, really. I'm. I think I'm actually pancakes. Oh well, then yeah, that's great. Yeah. Welcome. You have oh, to great. Awesome. <laughs> part of the I couldn't remember which one you liked, so <laughs> like I'm glad I picked the right one. The only one worth liking. Again, <laughs> right. for everyone listening, waffles are nothing but pancakes with extra oil. Do you need extra oil in your life, really? If you look at the ingredients, it's the same. It's the same. I mean, there might be some malt if you're old school, but it's just little, extra oil. Little squares. <laughs> You need a waffle iron too, so you can't my, just like make it. My six-year-old just asked me the other day. We we were having waffles because my wife made them. Mm. It wasn't didn't go over real well. Uh, I love her. I'm just kidding. But my my six-year-old looks at me and goes, "Dad, how do you get the syrup in?" Like he, it's like exactly, son, exactly. You don't you don't want waffles. You evenly <laughs> cover this thing. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for hopping concern. on, Jesse. Yeah. Good thanks for, for having to, me. Get to know you now. You're internet famous, uh, home builder famous, and congrats again on the 40 Under 40 Award. Thank you. I appreciate it. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We'll see you next time. See ya. Bye.